Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning to you. Good morning to those who are joining us online, and and welcome. And uh, we've been kind of talking about those times when we feel surrounded on all sides by our enemies, maybe some negative circumstances that are coming in our lives. And, and for some people, they feel like um, they're in a rut. But I got some good news for you. Just like the song said, we're only getting started. Amen? Just in Jesus' name, we are only getting started. The Bible says, old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, I said last week that for some of us, that rut and that negative circumstance we find ourselves in, truth of the matter is, uh, we have a lot to do with it. The, the person to blame is no one else. It's, it's in the words of the, that old prophet Michael Jackson, <laughs> we're, 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 we're looking at the man in the mirror. We're asking him or her to change her ways. But sometimes it's not of our doing. Sometimes life happens and storms come and we find ourselves feeling like we're drowning in our situation and even our, mo- our emotions and they seem to be to threaten to swallow us up, whether it's a literal storm like they just experienced on the West Coast, like Ian, that devastation, or it could be a storm of an unexpected illness that threatens to take us out, or a financial crisis, or, or you're having relationship problems. I've talked to some people who have problems at their work to, through no fault of their own. You know, things are just happening, and and coming down on them. So we're all struggling in, in some ways. And, and the Apostle Paul kind of gave us a glimpse into his struggles in the book of Corinthians and the book of Romans. This is what he said in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? And so he says this to everybody. He says, so run to win. Run to win. If you're going to play, play to win. Listen, we started softball this season, and I promise that, you know, if we don't win, I don't mention it. And we didn't win this time, but I promise you, listen to me, we always play to win. Amen, right, Mike? We play to win. And the Bible says concerning your faith, concerning your walk with the Lord, you need to run to win. He goes on to say all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose, verse 26. In every step, I am ju- I'm not just, what did he say? I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I might disqualify myself. And so the title of this series that we're in is called Shadow Boxing, and I think it's appropriate to describe the struggles we all go through from time to time. He went further in his description of his internal uh, struggles in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now listen, the Bible never tells us what Paul's struggles were, 
But clearly it was something, and probably it was more than one thing that he was dealing with. But the truth of the matter is Paul didn't just describe the problem. Last week we didn't read the rest of the verse. The very next text, he, he also described the solution to these problems. Wholeheartedly he, he declared the solution. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. He's being honest about his situation. He says, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he gives the answer, thanks be to God who delivers me, help me out somebody, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, somebody. Amen. He, he, he talks about the problem, but he also gives us the solution. The message says it this way, the answer, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. The answer, my friends, to all these struggles, internal and external, is Jesus. Amen? He's the one that says, the scripture says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he can help us with whatever struggles we are going through, whatever thing we are shadow boxing with. Internally or externally, Jesus is the answer. Now, the, the title of this morning's message, well, last week we de dealt with shadow boxing with addictions, and I'm glad some, so many of you came back. But this week we're dealing with shadow boxing with a painful past, with a painful past. Now, you may be here today or listening under the sound of my voice, and you have all your junk resolved, all your issues from your past all worked out. That's great. You can just, just listen for somebody else this morning. But if I was going to ask for a show of hands as to whether you feel, what's the word, haunted from time to time with distressing or disturbing thoughts or emotions or maybe even memories of, of the past, I think a lot of hands would go up. Hard as you try, those memories just continue to push in and trouble, even torment you, or even trigger you when the right circumstances come flowing your way, whether it's a decision gone bad, uh, some trauma of the past, a financial loss that set you back, or, or something you said or did that, that came back and maybe is still coming back to bite you. Or maybe you're like Taylor Swift with another relationship gone bad. Come on, somebody. Now, talk about making uh, lemons into lemonade, she's turned those bad relationships into money. Now the question is, how do we deal effectively and biblically with the things that tend to haunt or torment us? And the truth is some folks turn to all sorts of foolish devices like we talked about last week, drugs or alcohol or, or addictions. They turn to those things to try to deal with it or they jump into a bad relationship because they think that they can ultimately change the other person. Kind of reminded me of that old story <laughs> I heard a couple of years ago about a couple getting married. It says, during the rehearsal for her wedding, the nervous bride was having a difficult time remembering all the details. And so her kind pastor took her aside at the end of the night and said, when you enter the church tomorrow, You'll be walking down the same aisle you've walked down many times before. Concentrate on the aisle. And when you get halfway, uh, when you get halfway down the aisle, uh, uh, concentrate on the altar. 
And when you reach the altar, your groom will be waiting for you. Concentrate on him. Focus on the aisle. Then focus on the altar. Look at the altar. And then lock eyes with your man. That's all you have to do. Now, that seemed to help a lot. And on the day of the wedding, the beautiful but nervous bride walked flawlessly down the aisle. But the people were taken aback as they heard her repeating these words during the processional out loud, seemingly to herself, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. <laughs> I'm not sure how much success she had at altering or changing her spouse, but I know that day there was probably a number of wives wishing her well. <laughs> Good luck with that one. But the truth is, if we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to allow him to alter our lives. Amen? Amen. We're going to allow him to change things. He is the answer for the world today. He holds the keys to lasting change, even of our painful past. Now, as it relates to the things that have gone bad, we're going to look at some people in the Bible who things just went bad for, okay? And it couldn't have, uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth, arguably things went really bad for her. And we're going to look at her life, people in her line, and how God turned things around. And I'm one of those believers that if God will do it for someone else, he'll do it for me. Does your Bible say he's not a respecter of persons? That God doesn't have any favorites? If he do it for one, he'll do it for me too. So let's look at what God did in her life, how she turned her lemons, or how God turned her lemons into lemonade. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, they weren't there very long before tragedy hit. It says in verse 33, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, and after they had lived there about 10 years, Things go from bad to worse. Both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now listen to me. Talk about a situation going from bad to worse. Somebody said it this way. If it wasn't for bad luck, at this point, Naomi wouldn't have no luck at all. Taking place during a period in Jewish history where judges ruled the land. And so this was pre-Kings. And the Bible says a famine had struck the entire land. There was, there, so there was this catalyst for them to move from where they were from, uh, in Bethlehem to, to a, a foreign land. And that's how they resettled in Moab. And, and everything was fine and dandy up until Naomi's husband, he died, Elimelech. But she still had her two grown sons, Malon and Killian, to depend on back in those days. That's what you depended on. There was no social security. There was, you know, there's nothing along those lines. As the, as the women aged, they depended on their children to take care of them. But now the husband 
is deceased and the two children are deceased. Now, they're there for 10 years, and the story does, doesn't say what happened to the, to the boys, but the floor does drop out, and both of them die, leaving her with two foreign, childless daughter-in-laws. What an unexpected tragedy. Now, one that affected her, and we're going to see she became embittered, and it caused her to question her faith. Anybody ever been there? Where the situation just turns so bad on you, that it causes you to question your faith. I was watching the news uh, over the weekend, and um, Fox had on Franklin Graham. He's the one that, he's Billy Graham's son, and he's the one that heads up Samaritan Purse, and he has a team going in there to help rebuild. He, he, he goes all over the world whenever there's catastrophes. And they were asking, well, what are you, what are you finding? And he says, what I'm finding is a lot of people who are asking the question, is God mad at me? Because they've lost everything. And to which I'm responding, no, absolutely not. God is not mad at you. This is an opportunity for the body of Christ to come alongside them. And, to, and, and, and God has the ability to see us through whatever storms of life that we go through. Amen? Now, I personally have gone through some storms where it feels like the world around us just kind of turns to hell in a handbasket, right? But in those cases, I found myself agreeing with... Uh, Winston Churchill. Do you know who Winston Churchill was? Winston Churchill was the prime minister of, of England, and he was, done, he, he was the prime minister during one of the worst times. I think it was toward the, toward the end of World War II, and they were literally dropping bombs in England. And so he, he gave us these words. He said, when, you're walk, when you feel like you're walking through hell, keep walking. Come on, somebody. You, know, when, you didn't hear what I said. <laughs> when you feel like all hell is breaking loose around you and you're walking through hell, keep walking. That's a, that's a word for somebody. It's not a time to sit down or, or to give up or to lay down. It's definitely not a time to have a pity party. Listen to me. Turn to somebody and say, keep walking. Keep moving. That, 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 that's, what the, that's what David said, right? He said, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He didn't say, I'm going I'm to sit in the valley of shadow of death. I'm going to hang out. Maybe I'll have a, some tea in the valley of the shadow. He said, I'm fine myself walking in the shadow of the valley of death. I, I will fear no evil for thy God and thy staff are with me. I'm going to keep walking because God is going to see me through and God is going to see you through. And so Ruth's husband and two sons are now dead. And she talks to her daughter-in-laws and she tries to get them to go back home. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 11, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and, and, they gave, and we gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In other words, he says, she's saying, at least you have a chance. You're still young. Get, get remarried. Me, I'm old. My husband has passed. My situation, my circumstances is dire. And she put the blame on God. And she said as much to her fellow people when she returned home. 
She's now going home, and this is what she said in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And she said in verse 20, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Anybody want to guess what Mara means? I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, why the change of name? Well, Naomi literally means fear or pleasant. Fear or pleasant. And she was saying, clearly my life doesn't reflect any of those. It's not fair. It's not pleasant. It's not bountiful or full. At this point in my life, it's bitter and empty, and in, my, in her opinion, uh, God's hand was against her. Now, again, many of us have been there when things just go crazy on us. It might not be a physical death, that, but it could be. It could be a death of a relationship or, or a dream job. But basically, you started out this life, and you were full of hope and full of optimism and and, and all of a sudden, these storms hit you, and now you feel empty, and, and now you're pessimistic about things because something has died. Well, Naomi's life kind of gives us an outline as to what to do if you find yourself shadow boxing with these painful situations in your past and how to see yourself moving forward. Four steps to victory over a painful past this morning. The first thing we all need to do, and I want you to write this down, is you need, if you find yourself in that situation, is you need to come up with an exit plan. An exit plan. In in Naomi's case, at that point, she had decided it's time to go home. Why? Because she was hoping that at home she would find support. So rather than staying in a foreign country stuck in a misery, Naomi made the conscious decision to leave that place of misery and go home. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them where she was, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. Now let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes complaining about your situation is not going to do anything. It's not going to do a thing. In fact, it's a, it's a waste of time and energy. What, what, you need to come up with a couple, answer a few questions. What, what do you have to do from here? Where do you have to go? Who do you have to talk to in order to take the steps to change your situ, situation? In, in other words, you need to develop and allow God to help you to develop an exit plan. Remember the, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus spoke about? The, the, the boy who... who who foolishly, you know, took his inheritance, left his father, squandered it all on loose living and and the implication is women and and all that stuff, ended up as a nice young Jewish boy in a pig's pen, uh, longing to eat the, the husk of the food that the pigs were eating. And the Bible says, and Jews hanging out with pigs, it's a problem. But here he was in that situation. And the Bible says he, He came into himself and he thought to himself, wow, in my father's house, my father's servants are doing better than I am. I cannot stay here. I have to move. 
haunted by his past. I can't stay stuck in this misery, faltering in my failings. I got to get up and go. So if you find yourself in a situation, a, a, a similar situation, you need to ask the Lord to show you what the exit plan is and find a home base so that you can get the support that you need. Proverbs 22.3 says this, a prudent man, and that implies woman as well, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Turn to someone. Say, don't be simple. Don't stay stuck in a situation or in your grief or in your misery and wallow in it. Get an exit plan. Second thing you need to do is form strategic alliances. Form strategic alliances. How many of you know that you are not in this by yourself? I can tell you right off the bat, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Amen? Amen. And the church knows me well enough because when people call me, they ask me, are you alone? And sometimes I say, no, I'm not alone. Oh, do you want me to call you back? No, I'm, 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 I, I can talk. But you say you're not alone. I say I'm not alone because I'm never alone. Because Jesus says he will never leave me, nor will he forsake me. Amen? And so I practice the presence of the Lord. But, but with that, the Lord will show you other strategic alliances. In Naomi's case, she found a real friend in her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Listen to what she said. At this, they wept aloud. Now, Ruth told, uh, Naomi said, go home. Go find some. You know, you're young. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to, if I find another man, I'm already too old to have a child. And even if I was, uh, uh, you're going to wait till they grow up? No. You know, make a life for yourself. And at this, they wept aloud. Again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You know what came to my mind when I heard the passion that Ruth had for her mother-in-law and, 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 and the things that she said, I, I said, oh my goodness, that's, that's a ride or die for real. Amen? Folks, listen to me. When you find someone like that in your life, don't push them away. Don't push them away because God put them in your life to support you. Those are the ones who will stick closer than a brother. Their love for you and connection to you is deeper than even blood in many cases. And it could be blood too. It could be a, a, a husband or a wife or a family or a friend. Or, but, 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 but you know because they are, come, come, come hell or high water, they're going to be in your life. And they're going to support you for whatever you're going through. What are they? They are, they are gifts from God to help you on your journey through life. They are the ones that God put in, uh, uh, 
put in your car with you, if you will, to help you deal with your struggles in life. Listen, I don't care how strong you are or pretend to be. We all need somebody. We all need somebody. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Come on. And so you may be alone or feel alone in terms of a mate or a painful breakup, but you need not be alone or lonely as it pertains to your journey through life because Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he says that the body of Christ are his hands and his feet. You have the church as well. Amen? Amen. Now, Romans 12, 4 says this. Just as our bodies have, been, have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. Help me out, somebody. And we all belong to each other. That's what the enemy's been fighting for the last two years in the church, to try to dismantle the churches. That coming together and loving one another and supporting one another and praying for one another, none of that happens from a video lens. It could, but it's very difficult. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be in contact in community with the body of Christ. Galatians 6, 2 says, by helping each other with your troubles, you truly do what? Obey the law of Christ. I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. So don't isolate yourself and don't feel like you're alone. Now, one way we're trying to help uh, the body... Uh, even on the West Coast, practically speaking, is that we have been collecting supplies, and there's a supply list in the back for um, Hurricane Ian uh, victims. And we've already got a lot, and we've got a guy who's committed to, to as many runs as we can collect. He's going to bring down there to help support. Also, we're, we are collecting funds. You can text to give at 954-329-1199. That's 954-329-1199. Put the amount in and put in, and 100% of it we are sending to Samaritan's Purse because they are in the middle of it. We're also taking a team down there this week to, from, from this church to, to go help with the, with the cleanup and the rebuild. And so... That's called the body of Christ helping each other. Amen? Amen? Now, for some of us, the strategic alliance that you may need to form is marriage counseling. Get marriage counseling if things are going wrong or family counseling. If there are financial issues happening in your relationship, find a good financial counselor or, or, or a life coach or, or, or a friend who would just listen or any combination of any of those things. Now, even though Naomi fell on hard times, she found out that she wasn't alone in this world. And though she felt that God had abandoned her, she was wrong about that. And we're going to see she was wrong about that. Because not only did God give her Ruth, 
He was about to set her up with her kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer in the Jewish faith is, is a family member who, if you came on hard times, um, whether it's, you know, uh, financial tragedy or, or deaths in the family, that the, the people who are the closest relative to you had the ability, if they chose to, to redeem your, your situation or redeem whatever you lost, to buy it back or to, or to take it in your name. And so God was about to lead her to her kinsman redeemer by a fellow by the name of Boaz. Ruth chapter 2 verse 2 says this, One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, I'm going to the fields. Maybe someone will be kind enough to let me gather the grain he leaves behind. Now understand this. If you are now going to the fields, again, there was no Social Security back then. There was nothing along those lines. But God did institute a system to help the poor in the land. The instructions were given to the, to the farmers that, that when you glean your field, whether it's wheat or barley, whatever it is, whatever drops to the floor, keep it there so that, or, or the edges of your field so that the poor among you can come and still find food. So if you found yourself going to strangers' fields, you were, you were pretty desperate, and you were actually picking up whatever was dropped and laid behind. So this is the situation they found themselves. Ruth and Mo said, Naomi, I'm going to the fields. Maybe someone will be kind enough to let me gather the grain he leaves behind. Naomi said, go, my daughter. So Ruth went to the fields and gathered the grain that the workers cutting the grain had left behind. It just so happened. Someone say it just so happened. I love it when it just so happens happens. You know what I'm talking about? It just so happened that the field belonged to Boaz was from Elimelech. Uh, the, field, the field belonged to Boaz from Elimelech's family. Who's Elimelech? That was a husband of Naomi who, who was deceased. Amen? Now, you see... I love when God sets things up <laughs> and sets people up for a blessing. Now, this dude <laughs> was rich. <laughs> Ruth, I understand. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a rich relative named Boaz from Elimelech's family. Now, how many of you know that God knows where all the resources are? Amen? That, that there's a reason why they call him Jehovah Jireh. Anybody know what that means? The Lord our provider, right? That with God, there is always a ram in the bush, and the provisions are always going to be there if we learn to listen and to follow his cue. So while she was in that field, <laughs> the, the, the just-so-happened comes along and notices her. <laughs> and his name was, was Boaz. This is what he said in Jubu chapter 2, verse 4. Soon Boaz came from Bethlehem and greeted his workers. The Lord be with you. And the workers answered, may the Lord bless you. Then Boaz asked his servants in charge of the workers, Who, who's that girl? <laughs> the servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me follow the workers cutting grain and gather what they leave behind. She came and has remained here from morning until just now. She has stopped only a few moments to rest in the shelter. And so from that moment on, I don't care what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what she was wearing, okay? But she, Boaz was smitten from that moment on. He tells Ruth, come, come, come here. 
Don't gather grain in any other field. <laughs> Follow close behind my, my women workers. And he even instructs his workers to drop some full heads of grain for her to pick up. <laughs> okay? So when Ruth came, came home with this big old pile of grain and food left in her hand, uh, Naomi knew something was up. Because this, was the, this is how the poor people you know, got, got fed. And they didn't come home with big old bushels of food. They got whatever was missed. Ruth chapter 2 verse 19, Naomi asked her, where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? Blessed be whoever noticed you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law whose field she had worked in, she said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. And by this time, Naomi is starting to realize that something is up because Ruth was invited back every day until the barley and wheat harvest was finished. And for many of you, you know the rest of the story. Naomi tells Ruth after a while that she's going to find her home, and she gives her these instructions. She says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with, with, this young, with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and a dress in your nicest clothes. Anybody know what's going on here? <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little makeup, a little perfume. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Get dressed up. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to, no, be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Verse 5, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Verse 7, and Boaz, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits. He lay down at the right, at the far end of the pile of grain, and he went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, looking and smelling good, I might add, uncovered his feet and lay down. And around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for, I, for you are my family redeemer. Oh, snap. This sounds like a wedding proposal. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after younger men. Whether rich or poor, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. And if he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives... I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And so in the morning, he loads her up with more food and he sends her home. And in Ruth 3, verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and asked, what happened, my daughter? And Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. 
And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Someone say today. Today. Now, we know from history that Boaz was a good man, was overwhelmed when he saw uh, Ruth and surprised that, that night that he was, she was at her feet, but he was impressed by her loyalty, her, her work, work ethic, her humility, and her virtuosity. She was young, and she was beautiful, and she could have gone after anyone, but she chose that she was going to wait on her Boaz. <laughs> Someone say Boaz. Remember? When Franklin uh, said that, he said not to be confused with his cousins, drunk, as, as help me out somebody, dumb, as, as cheating, as. definitely keep away from cheap, you know what I'm talking about. Stay away from all those cousins, right? Folks, you need to wait for your Boaz, Amen. Now, Boaz was their kinsman redeemer, and he did whatever it took for Ruth to be a part of his family. And, and the Bible says that we have a kinsman redeemer as well, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen? And he wants to cover us with his forgiveness and his redeeming blood and to deliver us from the things that we are haunted by or fighting with, and he wants to do it today, if you would let him. But first, we need to come up or allow him to give us an exit plan, repent and turn to him. Second, we need to form strategic alliances. Naomi had Ruth and now Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. But let me tell you, there are two more things that if we're going to be successful, in the, uh, if we're shadow boxing with our painful past, there are two more things that we need to do. We need to do. And I want you to write this down. We need to learn, like Ruth, to listen to directions. To listen to directions. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to, help me somebody, listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You see, for far too many of us, we have it in reverse. We're quick to get angry. We're quick to speak and we're slow to listen. And that's why we keep ending up in situations that end up as a mess in our lives and that keep messing us up. Ruth listened to Naomi and said, I will do everything you say. Man, if we could just adopt that philosophy with God, amen? I'm going to do everything you say, God. And his word. I'm going to do what you say as it relates to my, my, my relationships. I'm going to do what you say as it relates to my finances or my friends and, and your church and the world around me. If we can just adopt that philosophy with him, we would be in a much better place. We'd avoid a whole lot of trouble. And when trouble did come, we'd get out of it a whole lot sooner. Now listen to, to, the, to the godly counsel and the counselors that God puts in our lives. God, God, God puts people in our lives that, 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 he, that, that, we, that we should be listening to. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about the bobbleheads who, all, who only agree with the foolishness. 
we need to listen to godly counsel because they're strategically placed there by him. Now, in James chapter 4, verse 6, the scripture says that we need to get to a place of humility. It says God opposes the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Ruth humbled herself, took the position of a servant, and she didn't, and, and, and she, and she didn't lay at, at the top of his head to say, I'm, I'm ruling over you. She didn't even lay at his side. She took the position of a servant and laid at his feet and then asked him to, when he awoke, asked him to cover her, in other words, to be her kinsman redeemer. And she didn't have to wait long because the very next day he went to work to make it happen. But even with that, there was one more ingredient that was needed. Ruth chapter 3 verse 13 again told us that Naomi said to her, just be patient. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until the things are settled. The last ingredient is to practice patience. Practice patience. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Galatians 6, 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If what? If what? Help me, someone. If we don't give up. Keep walking. Amen. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And so even in that text, it tells us what we should be doing while we're waiting on God to work things out. Because you're thinking God's not working. God's always working. He's always working. I call him the great shuffler. He knows how to stack the deck in our favors. Amen? If we would be patient on him. But there's things we could and should be doing while we're waiting on the Lord. If you find yourself thrust into God's waiting room, there are things you should be doing. It says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And then it says, especially to those in the family of faith. Listen, my friends, if you're struggling, it is not time to wallow or whine or to camp out. It's time to get to work. It's time to get busy. And how many know there are plenty of opportunities these days to, to, to do just that, uh, especially to do good to the family of faith. Now, did she reap a blessing? I, I, I cannot end this until, I, until we read the, the, the end of the story. She reaped a blessing in spades. Listen to me. Ruth chapter 4, verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I have acquired Ruth and the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband to inherit the family property here in this hometown. You are all my witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah and whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem, 
And may the Lord give you descendants by, his young, by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar, and Judah. Verse 13. And so Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Listen. Then the, woman, then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he, be, may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. Naomi took the baby. Now she's Naomi again. Come on, somebody. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who is David now, somebody? Who is David? King of Israel, the father of Solomon. And that's the very people who Jesus traces his lineage to you. Amen? Now, let me give you another caveat to show you how good God is and how he has the ability to work out our painful past. Who was Boaz's mother? Rahab. Think about that. And so even in the lineage of Jesus, you've got a Moabite and you've got someone with a really colored past. Come on, somebody. And it just, to me, it just shows the grace. If anyone don't know who Ahab is, you got, that's your homework. Look her up. She was, a, she was a prostitute in the land that God was sending Israel against, and she was the one person who stood up in righteousness and said, I believe, and I'm going to protect. And then she got adopted into their family, and she was the mother of Boaz. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. God is good. <laughs> Naomi had a painful past, convinced that God was punishing her. And you may be here today, and you're going through difficult time under the sound of my voice, and you're convinced that God is punishing you. You are wrong. Jesus said, in this world, we will have trouble. But he says, take courage. Be of good cheer. <laughs> because I have overcome this world. In other words, with me and you together, we got this. Amen? Amen. Practice the presence of Jesus. He can help you with your marriage. He can help you with your finances. He can help you with the storms that are coming in your life. He has the ability to make a way where there is no way. If you find yourself walking through hell, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If you find yourself walking through hell, keep walking. Don't stop. Keep moving. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he has overcome this world. And when I get to that place where I surrender to him in my life, 
I am now in the family of God in the lineage of the great king. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And the grace of God, just like it applied to Rahab and her past, and, 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 to, and, and to, to include a Moabite into the lineage of Jesus, will apply to me as well. The grace of God applies to you as well. But do those things if you find yourself stuck. Get an exit plan allow, and, and allow that plan to in, include the Lord in your decision making. Realize that you don't have to do it all by yourself. Form strategic alliances that should include the church and the people of faith. And then learn to listen to his instructions in your life. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And be patient with the process because we serve a, it just so happened, God, come on somebody, that he has the ability to position us and to place us where the green pastures are and the still waters. But in the meantime, don't just sit on your hands. Take every opportunity to do what is good the Bible says, especially to the people of faith, because while you are putting your hands to doing good, God is working things out in your favor. Amen? My Bible says he causes all things, not some things, he causes all things, not just good things, bad things too. All things mean everything, right? Bad things, does all things mean all things? He causes all things to work together. For the good of those who love him. Anybody love him in here today? Not ashamed to say it. I love you, Jesus. He's working it out. Thank you, Lord. For those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God is good. All the time he's good. But he calls us to assume a position of surrender and to acknowledge that you need him in your life and to the extent that you submit your life to him he says listen I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep and so whatever painful situation you find yourself in you are not by yourself and God has the ability even if you think like Ruth did I mean Naomi did my name is not Naomi anymore call me Mara because God has turned against me was she correct? No, but we find ourselves thinking that when everything gets wiped away or when things just turn south on us, don't let the devil whisper in your ear, yes, God has turned against you. It's a lie. It's not truth. It, it, it's from the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. It's not God. God never abandons his own. But Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. Someone told you that when you became a Christian, you know, you're not going to have trouble anymore. It was a lie. They lied to you. Get out of that church. Get out of that church. That church that tells you nothing bad is ever going to happen. It's not true. Jesus said it's not true. He says in this world you will have trouble. Ta-da. But he says I'm never going to abandon you to that, to that trouble. Be of good cheer. He says even in the midst of your trouble you can still have joy knowing that God is going to see you through whatever it is you're going through. Keep walking. Keep moving. 
don't give up. You will reap if you faint not. God is good, amen? So as we come to a close today, listen, if you're here today on the sound of my voice, you've not yet committed to that good, good father. He's a good, good God. I don't know why people choose to do life without God. To me, it's just so much easier, <laughs> easier knowing that I've got somebody who's looking out for me and working things out. Um, and so we want to, you want to get to that place where you surrender your life to him. And if you've not yet done it, it's not that hard. You just get serious with him. You, you humble yourself and you acknowledge that you need him. And he says, the scriptures talks about him being as close as a, your breath. He, if you draw near to me, he says, I will draw near to you. And so, if you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. So we won't bow our heads and close our eyes and say something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Forgive me for the sins that are in my life and doing things my own way. I believe that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago for my sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead. I confess my faith completely in him today. And I put my trust in him. And because he lives, I will live as well. I would every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, if you are dealing with boxing or shadow boxing with a painful past, listen to the instructions of Jesus. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. His, 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 his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Come to him. Take that right now, whatever it is, and say, Lord, I, I need help. I need an exit plan out of this miserable situation that will involve you being glorified. Not anything of my own. I, I need uh, strategic alliances, whether it's counseling or, or, or whatever it is, Lord. I, I, give me a plan and help me to be patient with it and to wait on you to trust that you're going to work it out. And while I'm wait, waiting, Lord, show me where I could serve to be good, especially to those in the family of faith. So I'm not wallowing in this misery. I turn it over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.